Well, if there's a storm coming, there's always a calm just before the storm. And in Colorado, on the Great Plains of Kansas, on the eastern half of Colorado, east of the Rocky Mountains, there's also the cows before the storm. Rory Vaden tells the story about the difference between cows and buffaloes where he grew up in Colorado. Colorado is one of the only places in the world that has buffalo and cows at the same time, like naturally there, or at least as naturally as cows showed up and lived freely. Cows and buffaloes both live in Colorado because you have this conjunction of half a state of mountainous territory and then half the state with the Great Plains of Kansas. And he talks about what happens when a storm comes in. Usually in Colorado, the storm rolls in from the west over the Rocky Mountains, and it crests over the mountains, and then it blows through the plains. And he says we should observe what the cows and buffaloes do when the storm is coming. The cows look to the east, away from the storm, and those cows just start moving in the opposite direction. If the storm's over there, I'm going to go this way. The only problem is, if you've ever seen a cow run, it's not very fast. Our kids chased cows with golf carts, you know, at my uh, aunt and uncle's dairy farm last month, and those cows don't move too fast. Not as fast as a golf cart if you're not driving carefully. So, cows never outrun the storm. All that you do if the storm's moving like this, and you turn around and you start running at a cow's speed like this, all you're doing is maximizing the length of time you're going to spend in that storm. You're making it harder on yourself by trying to run from the storm. It doesn't get easier, it just prolongs the agony. The buffaloes, on the other hand, the buffaloes, they see the storm cresting to the west over the mountains, and they face the storm, and they charge into the storm. Because they know that if you're heading towards the storm, yeah, you're going to meet the storm sooner. You might even meet the storm in a little bit of its earlier fury. But you are going to minimize the amount of time in the storm. You and the storm will pass each other by far more quickly when you face the storm and walk through the storm or run or rumble through the storm than if you try to run from it. Now, Rory Vaden says this in light of being a leadership guru and giving a TED Talk about stop procrastinating at work and at home. Just face the storm and minimize the amount of agony you get from kicking things down the road. But we can see some parallels here, or at least I do, when Jesus says to his disciples now, the storm's coming. The storm is coming. And before the calm or the cows before the storm, there's the confession before the storm. Just before our gospel today, Peter is asked to confess who he believes Jesus is. And first, Jesus takes a, a poll of all the candidates of who Jesus could be. So he kind of starts with the primaries, and he says, who do people say that I am? And some of the disciples say, oh, some think you're Elijah, come back. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back. Some say you're a prophet like we've had before. All the candidates are lined up, and then Jesus says it's time to vote. Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter, not by his own strength or understanding, but the revelation of the Father in heaven, Peter confesses truly, you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. You didn't figure that one out on your own. And Peter proved just how true Jesus' words were when it comes to our gospel today. Jesus got, or Peter got the confession right. But he's not ready for the storm. He's denying the storm. When Jesus, at this turning point in the gospel story, begins to predict his coming death in Jerusalem and his resurrection on the third day, which to them is spoken clearly, but he couldn't possibly mean exactly what he said. He begins to speak about how they must now turn southward to the capital city where there's only one outcome for prophets. And Peter is going to deny that the storm must happen. He resists what must belong to the Messiah, what must be the case for the Christ of Israel. Jesus says it must be that the Son of Man is handed over, is to be killed, is to be <clears throat> raised again. So Peter denies the storm, says, no, 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 that will never happen to you. He rebukes Jesus, and Jesus rebukes Peter. Peter is rebuked by Jesus, but Jesus makes sure all the disciples are listening because a lot of times when one of your siblings is getting a lecture, we like to observe like, <laughs> yeah, it's their turn to be under the gun. But Jesus goes like this, so he's like, you know, I'm speaking to the choir too here. Get behind me. You're speaking for Satan here. You're not speaking of what must be, but you're speaking of what Satan would have. And Jesus says it simply. You're thinking about not the divine things, but you're thinking about human things. Your perspective is here when it ought to be here. Or your perspective is in what you see instead of what you hear in the promises of the prophets of old. Seek things above. Suffer things below. Instead of denying the storm, Jesus calls us and his disciples to deny the self. He says to the disciples, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Those who want to save their life will lose their life. But those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the good news will find it. What will it profit you to gain the whole world and lose your soul or your life? Is there anything you can give in exchange for your life? Instead of denying the storm, we're called to deny the self. But this is very difficult because as soon as you choose to deny yourself, you just chose to deny yourself, which doesn't really deny yourself. It's just fulfilling your choice to deny yourself. It's like a brain teaser or something. How do I choose to deny myself without not denying myself because I made the choice to give my life to Jesus and to follow him? It's a conundrum, kind of like when Peter is told you figured out who Jesus was, not because you figured it out, but because God gave it to you. And here's the difference. And on the outline, it says this. There's a difference between those who want to and those who do. Between those who want to and those who do. And I see this especially in verse 35. For those who 
want to save their life will lose it. Those who do lose their life will find it. Jesus doesn't give us a choice of wants and desires. He doesn't say, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you want to lose your life, you're going to save it. Because nobody in the end, if we're being honest, wants to lose our life. Now Paul the Apostle does say, in rare cases, for a good man, one of us might be willing to die. We certainly would be willing, we would hope, to give our life for our beloved ones, our family, our children. Soldiers have given their life for the sake of fellow soldiers. There's lots of stories of self-sacrifice for a higher cause, yes. But for all the children, for every people, those who want to and those who do. Jesus isn't saying you need to, have, you need to want to deny yourself and want to lose your life. He's saying, when you're my disciple, when you hear my word, you're going to be given a cross. You're going to go through some storms. The world's not going to understand you. At best, it will mock you, and at worst, it will crucify you. This is what must be for the Son of Man. This is what must be for those who follow him. You don't have to want it, but in me, Jesus says, in me, you do find that that is the case. You do find that the gospel demands of you more than you have to give. That it demands of you your life, your all. Even when we're unable to hand it over wholly and completely by the grace of God and the mercy of baptism and the sacrament of the altar and the word that he speaks to us over and over, Jesus gives us his promises. He gives us new hearts that end up doing things we didn't know we wanted to do or didn't plan to do. And this isn't an easy lesson to learn. You don't learn it on the second Sunday of Lent so that the next three Sundays of Lent you are perfect, self-sacrificing disciples of Jesus. This is something difficult to learn. Peter, having just been nicknamed Satan, he, just had, he first had the nickname Peter, Rock, Rocky, Firm Foundation. Now he's got this new nickname, Satan, which means accuser. And Peter is going to continue to put his foot in his mouth and make mistakes. He's going to end up not only denying the storm, but he's going to deny knowing Jesus. He doesn't even want to be associated with the storm. When Jesus comes to his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter draws the sword and cuts the ear off of the weakest member of the arresting party. He doesn't take on a soldier. He takes on Malchus, the servant, like the, kind of like the page or the steward of somebody who's actually capable of fighting back. Peter swipes his sword, cuts off the kid's ear. Jesus says, no, 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 puts the ear back on. And Malchus has a story to tell, which is probably why the gospel authors know his name, because he wanted to find out, who just put my ear back on my head? Can you tell me more about this, Jesus? Anyway, Peter was defying the storm till the very end. He didn't stop defying the storm until Jesus defeated the storm of sin and death and the devil and was raised on the third day. And Peter, coming before the empty tomb, realizes, oh my, this must be. But the storm is past. The Messiah lives. And I sure hope when he finds me in a locked room, his words are, peace be with you.
because Peter was sort of like Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump, strapped onto that ship at sea in the storm. And Lieutenant Dan will defy the storm, not in faith in God who will bring him through the storm, not like Abraham and Sarah, not like Peter eventually. Lieutenant Dan says, you'll never sink this boat. He's saying this to God. Come on, you call this a storm? Blow! It's time for a showdown. You and me, I'm right here. Come and get me. You'll never sink this boat. Lieutenant Dan. He's been to Vietnam. A storm on a ship is not going to scare him. He's defiant to the end. But Peter is not. Because he sees Jesus on the other side of the storm. And Jesus now disciples his, disciples his followers through the storm. He teaches them not to build storm shelters and call it a sanctuary and a church and turn inwards. He calls us instead to be a buffalo in more or less the same words, the same sentiment. He calls his church to storm the gates of hell which will not prevail against his church. He calls the church to, like a buffalo, head into the storm because that's where mercy is needed. And people have responded to this call of Jesus like Peter has ever since. Just this week, I learned of the story of Jim Elliott, who was a missionary and martyr in South America. His story is told in some documentaries. I have the names of those if you want to ask me later. End of the Spear was one of the movies made about his life and death in South America. He was about 40 years old when he died, trying to bring the gospel to an indigenous group that didn't want anyone to come in for the gospel's sake, much less any other reason. But I want to leave you with a quote from Jim Elliott's diaries. His journals and diaries as a missionary are very aware that this could cost him his life should he continue. And he wrote these words in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm thankful on this day where we set aside an hour to conduct the business of the church. I'm thankful of God's faithfulness to this church. I'm thankful that we can chart a new course together, that we can elect leaders and celebrate ministry in the last few months and years, that we can look ahead to a new course that God may have for us and to, again, build not a storm shelter, but to trust that God is putting us out to sea Sometimes there'll be those Lieutenant Dan experiences and we want to deny or defy or avoid the storm. But I'm confident not that smooth sailing is ahead for Bethesda. I'm not confident that smooth sailing is ahead for almost any church in our culture in our day and age. But I'm confident that Jesus has passed through the storm and he will call us through the storm like he called Moses and the Israelites through that storm on that window and like he called Noah after the storm in that window, and like he called whoever this is in this storm over here. I'm confident in that because I'm confident in the evidence of God's goodness all over my life 
and all over Bethesda's life. Amen.